The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Let me take a moment to um, underline one of the announcements. Um, I'm so happy that um, English Conversation Circles are coming back uh, this Wednesday. We begin, and um, some of you might not know about some of that ministry. Uh, it's uh, really, you're, wel- you're welcome to be part of it. Um, there are so many people that are coming to our city, Winnipeg. They're from all nations, and we have had the privilege of, of walking with many people in, in basic English, but also just uh, the, the spin-off relational friendships that come out of that, the people that have been helped to find jobs, the, the uh, Bible studies and the different things that have come out of that that have been just incredibly a blessing to everybody that's been involved. So if, if you're wondering if that might be for you, please just uh, uh, give the office a call and come in on Wednesday night and be part of that. Um, we look forward to it. Before we uh, get into the Word of God, or the scripture that I'm going to be preaching, um, I'd like us to take a bit more time in prayer. And um, so before we get into the trenches with this scripture, I'd like to uh, invite you to join me and let's come before God one more time. Let me read to you the doxology as we begin. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Father, we thank you for your immensity, your infinity, your grandeur, Lord, We thank you, Lord, for being a sovereign God that um, is over everything, and we come before you, small as we feel sometimes, bringing to you our small worship that isn't worthy of, of the greatness of our God. We thank you that you receive it because everything that we give you, you receive because we come in faith. We come in the name of Jesus, your Son. We come because he is made a way for us to come, and uh, we thank you that that way is the message of the gospel that transforms and changes lives. And God, before we, we, before we get into the, the, the trenches of your word and, and start to understand and mine uh, the truths that are there, we would just pause to, again, acknowledge your grandeur, and uh, we think about the world that you created and the state that it is in today. And our hearts go out to the many people that are looking for refuge. They are refugees. They are uh, immigrants to other countries. Some of them are displaced in northern Iraq and in Syria, and they are in desperate situations. Oh God, we confess that often we live our daily lives not giving thought to what we know is the plight of many people that in this day, parents that are crying because of children that are dead or or starving. We think of 
children that are orphans because of parents that are lost, or we think of families that are stuck in tented cities or in gated countries that are awaiting to know their plight, their, their future destiny. God, uh, we pray in Jesus' name, we join our, our voices, our prayers, we join them with the church around the world that is crying out to you, God, have mercy on this people. Lord, help, help world leaders, help those in authority to be touched by your heart and to be moved to compassion. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, send a quick, a quicker solution to the many needs that are existing, Lord. Father, we pray for our own country and our leaders, and we ask you, Lord, as many, many groups are receiving refugees and immigrants that are coming, even, even now, we pray, oh Father, that they'll receive a warm welcome, that they will receive a, a blessing, that as they join our country, that uh, they might not only find freedom in this country politically and religiously and so on, but they would find Christ as we, your people, seek to share with them not only the love of Jesus, but his, his incomparable message that there is grace that the living God gives to sinners. Lord, would you be merciful to help us in this? Lord, we commit to you uh, this time now as we bring it down to our own needs, we give them up to you. We thank you that you're concerned about world affairs and private affairs as well. And so, Lord, we bring to you all of our heart's burdens. We thank you. We can lay it at your feet. Would you help us now, Holy Spirit, to be able to understand more of your will as we understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was 16 or 17 years old, I read a book by a guy named Raymond Ortland called Lord, Make My Life Count. And um, I'm not sure where I got it from, who recommended it. I, I, I read it, and it was impacting me in that time in my life to take the next steps of faith in my own uh, journey with Christ. And uh, if you'd have asked me between the ages of 17 and uh, about seven years ago, I wouldn't have been able to tell you anything about this book, but it impacted me. Interesting. I did buy a copy, that copy, about seven years ago, a used bookstore, and uh, reread it before I came to this church. And <clears throat> there's a chapter on finding your spiritual gift. If you'd have asked me at the age of 17 what my spiritual gifts were, I would have had no clue. I would not have understood the concept. My, my faith was young, and uh, I did not understand. It would be several years before I would be able to say with confidence that God had given me the gift of preaching and teaching and the gift of leadership, and that I knew it was a, a God-given thing that I had to follow through and, and use for His glory. I couldn't, I couldn't deny it. My call into ministry to preach the gospel and to preach the word was, was used, uh, God used the book of Jonah to show it to me so clearly. If I wouldn't have taken up these gifts and full-time served the Lord, I would have been like Jonah running the other direction. It would be several years before I would understand what I was uh, called to be and do. I was a Christian, I was committed to the Lord, but I had 
need of much time and practice and understanding this. God used some high school events. God used my time in Bible college. <clears throat> he used a summer ministry as well, one year. And slowly, little by little, God developed this idea that I was called to lead. I was called to preach. I share that brief testimony because some of you might be in a similar boat. Maybe you have thought about this matter of spiritual gifts in the past. Maybe you've even done a spiritual gift inventory or assessment like is in our uh, study book that we're looking at, Don Cousins' book, Leadership. And maybe you've done that and you've come out of that experience and you've th said, well, okay, I might have this gift, but I have no clue how it's going to relate to how I serve God and how I'm going to make a difference in this world. Maybe you know what your spiritual gift is and you just don't know how to put it into practice. I don't know what the next step is for you in your spiritual walk, but I think it might have something to do with that. And I'm praying that God today and during this season of studying this material that we're doing in our life groups and different groups that are available to you, uh, I pray that God would use it to take you, help you to take the next step as well. Last week, we talked about what it meant to be led by the Holy Spirit, and we discovered that it was important for three things. We wanted to wait upon the Holy Spirit, and that waiting thing looks like a prayer life. The second thing we said was that we need to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, and then the third thing we said is that once he's spoken, we need to learn to cooperate with him. It could be that that's exactly what many of you need to do with regards to your spiritual gift. And today, God's going to touch you, and he's going to speak to your heart through his word about what it is that you're meant to do in waiting on him in prayer, in listening to what he says to you about your spiritual gift, and about cooperating with him, taking those first baby steps in community that will help you to confirm and affirm what it is that God really does have for you that's going to make a difference in this world. In Luke chapter 4, we read a, a passage of scripture where Jesus was taken into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. He was there for 40 days when he fasted and he prayed. And it says that he came out of that wilderness experience and he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And one of the first assignments that God the Spirit led Jesus to was back to his hometown in Nazareth. And as he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day in Nazareth, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to this young returning rabbi, Jesus. And Jesus opened the scroll and he found the place in Isaiah chapter 61. And there he read it in a loud voice. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He closed up the scroll and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And he began his earthly three-year ministry. We find in that scripture the mission statement of Jesus but we not only find his, we find ours embedded in it. For we are the body of Christ. We were sent to preach the good news. We were sent to proclaim freedom to the captives. And somehow, each one of us, individually and as a body of believers, find and locate our mission statement in there. Why? Because Jesus, in that moment, knew for certainty why the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord had come upon him and what the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord had anointed him to do. 
You and I also need to know why the Spirit of God came upon us and what he's anointed us to do. I believe it's a parallel track. Jesus and you knowing why the Spirit of God is on you and what he has anointed your life to do on this earth. And so in this scripture that we're going to be looking at today, my prayer is that God would open our eyes together. This material that we're studying in these months by Don Cousins, he says that the reason that he wrote the whole study was because he was convinced that that in order to be the kind of people that God is honored uh, by, we need to be faithful, fruitful, and fulfilled, and in so doing, we make God famous. This word faithful is actually a stewardship word. The word faithful has this idea that you've been given something that you're going to have to give an account of, faithful with it. Fruitful means that once you're faithful with the thing that you've been given, God's going to respond to that by growing your character and your influence, the depth of your life and the breadth of your life. And this fulfilled part of what Don Cousins writes about is not a a carnal, selfish pursuit, an ego trip. It's all about really making God famous. It's all about you finding what it is that God has created you to be and why His Spirit laid hold of you. And when we do that, we bring God glory. Now, there are four passages in the Scriptures in the New Testament that I could refer to that, that teach on spiritual gifts. There's Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, and there's Romans 12. And this morning, I would like us to examine Romans chapter 12. And so if you have your Bibles or, or some device that allows you to read the Bible, would you turn to that now, Romans chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Verses 1 through 8, Romans chapter 12. And if you're able to stand with me, I would invite you now to stand with me to hear the word of God read. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. And if it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. May God bless his word. You may be seated. If you are going to understand Paul in these eight verses, you're going to have to understand where he begins in verse 1. If you're going to understand verses 6 to 8, where he ends with talking about spiritual gifts you're going to have to understand what he says about the mercy of God in verse 1. In fact, 
I would say that if you're thinking that you want to understand more about your spiritual gift, don't start with a spiritual gift assessment. Don't start with studying all the words of the different passages that I mentioned that spiritual gifts are mentioned. Don't, don't go there. Start with studying this passage in verse 1 particularly. Start with the mercy of God. Why do I say that? Well, Paul says this. He says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. Before we get to the mercy part, why don't we comment on the word urge? It's interesting. Last week when I was talking to you, I shared with you that Jesus uses a noun for the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 to 16. He uses the word parakletos. And that is that idea of someone who comes alongside someone else to help them. It is used by some to translate as comforter or counselor or advocate or helper and even lawyer once. It's this idea of coming alongside to help. Well, Paul, in the word urge, is using the verb form of the noun. He's saying, I, Paul, urge you. I'm coming alongside of you, Roman Christians, and I'm telling you, I'm urging you that in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. I don't know about you. I never had someone do that with me. Nobody came alongside of me when I was 16 or 17 and said, I urge you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to walk with you. And I'm going to help you to understand what God requires of your life now that he has saved you and set you apart. I didn't have that. And, and you know, it's so important that in our families and in our church ministries that we understand those of us who have been walking longer with Jesus look around and say, who is it that I could invest my life in? And I could be the parakletos. I could urge them. Urge them. To keep in view God's mercy. Now, where does that all come from? Well, if you've studied chapters 9 to 11, you'll see that Paul's been talking a lot about mercy, especially in chapter 11. And he's talking about it with regards to Jews and Gentiles. He's saying the Jews re received an incredible mercy from God, and it's this kind of mercy. And he said, but then you Gentiles, you have received a different kind of mercy, and it's this kind of mercy. And he's saying in view of the mercy, respond this way. Paul is saying, you, 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 you guys were grafted into a tree you didn't deserve to be in. You guys were adopted into a family that you didn't deserve to be part of. You were written into a will. You had no right being in that will. You see, you, you were included in Jesus when you had no ownership there. You had no right to be there. There's nothing in you that would make God look upon you and say, gee, I want that one in my family, in my will, on my team, in my tree. You were absolutely undeserving. And then God, in Jesus Christ, looked on you and said, you, your name, I want that one in my life, in my kingdom. And in view of the mercy that you've received, let's, we read on to what he's asking us to do. You see, see, what happened was that on that first Christmas tree that's called the cross, there was a gift under that tree. 
and it had your name on it. No one else could open that gift. And if you don't understand that that mercy is only for you, the child of God, with your name, your address, your DNA, and that no one else is going to get that gift except you, you don't get it. If you don't get this first point of the six points this morning in the message, forget the rest of the five because you're going to think you get it, but you're not going to get it. Because you don't get anything else unless you understand the mercy of God. You see, your gifting, your usefulness, your purpose in life is all part of your redemption in Jesus Christ that came at the mercy of God toward you. You don't compartmentalize. You can't walk by the gift buffet and say, I don't need that in my life. I'm a Christian. I know I stand with the Lord fairly good, and I I think we'll just go on without having to think about giftings. Uh Uh-uh. If you can think that way, you don't get it. So I hope I've made the first point clear. (laughs) The mercy of God is where it starts. And you you can't understand the rest of this without it. So where does Paul go from there? He says that the mercy of God leads to the worship of God. He says that in verse 1 that your spiritual act of worship is when you understand that in response to the mercy of God, you offer your body as a living sacrifice. Now, why your body? You see, your body's all you got. That's, the, that's why. Your body is all you got. And that's all God wants, is all you got. He says, give yourself to me as a living sacrifice. Now, know that Paul is drawing out Old Testament imagery from tabernacles and and temples of the Old Testament, and he is drawing out this imagery of a calf or a lamb or a pair of doves that were brought by the worshiper to the priest, and the priest would take the knife and slit the throat and would bleed out the animal on the altar. The animal would die, and then it was called a sacrifice. You see, the idea of a living sacrifice is an absolutely nonsensical thing. Because sacrifices weren't sacrifices until they were dead. But Paul is saying, but but having seen what Christ did in his mercy to you and for you, now can you offer your own body as a living sacrifice? You see, when Jesus came, all the animal sacrifices stopped. There was no more need or or acceptability in any animal that would be offered or blood would be let. It was only the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world that was ever going to be recognized by God. And any worshiper that would come before the holy God of the universe now would only come through the Son, Jesus Christ, and the blood that he shed. Now, the problem with the living sacrifice, someone has said, is that it keeps crawling off the altar. Indeed, that is the problem with our lives, too. We don't understand the transaction that took place to keep ourselves living it out before God every day. 
And so let's go to the next part because he explains in verse 2 what a living sacrifice looks like. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. J.B. Phillips translates this idea of, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. The Bible teaches us that there are three kinds of evil in, that we will face and contend with. There is systemic evil, which is the world system that we live in. There is internal evil, which is the sin, fleshly nature that we have within us. And there is supernatural evil, which is the devil, the real Satan enemy and all his demonic forces. So be assured, understand, you are absolutely surrounded by evil. You cannot escape evil. Evil is in a systemic way, corporately in this world. It is in a very personal way inside your heart and desires. And it is in a very, very mystical sometimes way all around you in demonic forces that the devil is directing to bring you down. So if you are getting counsel from someone, if you are getting advice from a friend, if you are seeking wisdom or discernment about some direction in your life, and you're getting it from a source that does not believe in these three evils and how they play on your mind and mess up your life, then you can be sure that the solutions you're going to be offered are going to fall short of arriving at God's peace and God's joy and God's will for your life. Be careful, Christian, who you are listening to. So the systemic corporate evil is what Paul is talking about in verse 2. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. The word conform is the idea of a change that comes from the outside in. It's squeezing you. It's, it's conforming you. It's like taking plaster scene and, and making it a certain shape. The world, in all of its media and attention, is trying to make you like itself. I remember when I was pastoring in Thunder Bay, I, I knew a man who was uh, scuba diving regularly in Lake Superior. Do you know that Lake Superior has an average depth of 400 feet? And that the deepest place in Lake Superior is 1,333 feet deep. Incredible. And of course, the deeper that the diver goes, the more water pressure is on the diver's body. And for every 30 feet of water, there is 15 pounds per square inch on your body, in addition to the 14.7 pounds per square inch of the atmospheric pressure. And I was told that a safe limit for a scuba diver using compressed air is about 120 feet down. After that, if it exceeds that, and you do not somehow keep equilibrium between inside and outside pressure on your body, your lungs, your eardrums, your sinuses, all of that's going to collapse, and you're going to die. In fact, it's a marvel to understand that in the ocean, where we can go more than two or three kilometers of depth, that there are creatures down there, not just kind of weird little plant life creatures, but but sharks and creatures like that, 
that can withstand that kind of pressure because that's the way God designed them. This is what Paul is talking about here when he uses the word conform and transform. He's saying you, Christian, are in this world and the world is always going to try to squeeze you into its mold and if you let it, it'll collapse you. It'll overcome you. Paul is saying that the external pressure to conform to the patterns of this world will always be on you because you are immersed in this world and in your body. And the only way of not being crushed by and conformed to the world is to have an inward, equal, and opposite pressure from within that stabilizes your life. And this happens by the word transformation. And that is exactly the opposite of conforming. It's transforming. It's a change from within. It's the word metamorphe. It's this idea that the Holy Spirit takes up residency and begins by his presence to change you from within. So the inward transformation resists and overcomes the external conformity that you and I are are subject to regardless. You can't, you can't escape it. It's like gravity. We need to be renewed daily. And Paul is saying in verse 2 that if you can do that, then you can understand God's will. You see the critical piece of this? Can you see the logic of what Paul is teaching? He says, if you don't do this, you won't understand what God's holy and perfect will is for your life. There are all kinds of Christians that are saying, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I don't know how to serve the Lord. I, I don't. If they're being conformed continually and not transformed, they will have no clue. They will not come to understand the will of God for their lives in all kinds of ways. So we need to be renewed daily. The world is preaching a message of folly. Every time you turn the TV on, a message of folly. And you know something? If 100,000 people say a foolish thing, it's still a foolish thing. You remember, I was reading about the earthquake in California in 1933, I think it was, in Southern California. And W.C. Fields responded after that earthquake, and he said this. He said, we're crazy to live here. But then he added, but there sure are a lot of us. <laughs> you see, the company of folly. Read the Proverbs. Folly never wants to go alone. The world is trying to squeeze you into its mold. You will not understand the will of God for your life if you let it drag you down the path of that way. And so to test and approve what God's will is, you need to obey the first part of verse 2, and then you'll understand the second part. Let's go on to the, sec uh, the next piece, and that's the grace of God. And that's where Paul speaks in verse 3 of, of, of more of a personal nature. He says, the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Andrew Murray reminds us that humility, the humble person, is not the one who thinks meanly or lowly about himself. He simply does not think about himself at all. That's humility. And Paul puts this discussion of self-image in the context of the grace of God. Because if it's not tied to grace, it can really 
end up with some wrong thinking. And in this matter of self-image and pride, you can fall off two sides of the fence. You can fall off the side of the fence that is most typically understood. You can, obviously, the one, the conceited, puffed-up pride that, pardon the pun, tries to trump everyone else around them. That's a kind of pride that's obvious and disgusting and repulsive and easily to, to detect. The more subtle kind of pride is where you and I might fall prey to, where you somehow know that bragging is unbecoming and self-asserting is unbecoming, and so you present yourselves rather in a socially acceptable manner. And it might even look like putting yourself down. Oh, no, that wasn't that great a meal. Oh, no, I can't do that very good. And you see, in, in so doing, when a person does that, they're, they're, they're hoping that you're going to correct them. Are you kidding? That was a wonderful meal. But try agreeing with them sometime. <laughs> you're right. That sucked. <laughs> you may not have a friend after that. You see, because we, we, we have this, we, we long to be affirmed and acknowledged and built up, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but Paul is just saying, let it be with sober judgment and in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you, not some independent prideful thing, but understanding that it's through God that you have it. And so if you're good at something, say thank you. God made me good at that. And give him the glory and keep on trying to serve in that way. Corey Tenboom was once asked how she managed to stay humble. And her reply was, Well, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, on the back of a donkey, and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises, do you think that for one moment it ever entered the head of the donkey that any, that any of it was for him? And she said, if I can be the donkey on which Jesus Christ rides, I'll give him all the praise and honor. So this, this understanding of self is necessary as Paul continues to develop it. Remember, the mercy of God, keep your view on that, leads you to be a living sacrifice. Keep your focus on that. If you keep walking in that, not conforming but being transformed, you'll get the will of God for your life. You'll understand who you are, and then you can take the next step of understanding how you fit with the people of God, which is found in verse 4. In verses 4 and 5, we read these words. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That's an important scripture. To put the study of spiritual gifts in context, Paul has included it in this, in this train of mercy of God, worship of God, will of God, grace of God, people of God. And as a person in the people of God, you need to know where you fit. You need to know you don't get to choose where you fit. You didn't get to choose the color of your eyes. You don't get to choose the gift that God put under the tree for you. But if you will stop resisting that and own it and love it and find out what God wants to do through you in it, you will make a difference 
in your own life and in those of the lives around you. In World War II, after World War II, there was a group of German students that had a conscience about how much was happen, happened in, in England in the bombing raids. And so this group of students traveled to England and they were given the assignment of rebuilding a cathedral in the grounds of a cathedral. And there's a statue of Jesus on the cathedral grounds and it, it had arms reaching out and underneath it said, come unto me. And the arms and the hands were so destroyed that they realized there was no way that they could restore the hands. And so what they decided to do after much discussion was they would not restore the hands. There were no hands on this statue of Jesus, but they changed the inscription underneath it. And they put, instead of come unto me, they put, Christ has no hands but ours. And if you understand the importance of spiritual gifting, you'll understand that illustration. And it's, there is nothing that Christ has on this earth apart from you and I, his body. His body. <laughs> He's a bodiless savior if he doesn't have us as his body. We're part of the plan. You've got a gift. You're part of the plan. And, and the, the part of the body that you do and serve in, you, you can't ask another member of the body to do it because a hand can't do very well what a foot does and so on. I was talking to Wayne Litke this past week after his surgery on his soldier, uh, so shoulder on Monday. In the first few days he couldn't sleep, right, Carla? Probably you couldn't either. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, you know, that poor body of Wayne's, is, it's like... It's like the whole body, every member of Wayne's body was feeling so sympathetic towards his shoulder, they stayed up all night to keep him company. <laughs> That's what Paul says. He says, when, when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. Our body hurts sometimes. This church family called White Ridge Baptist Church, we hurt. We don't do the kind of caregiving that we could do. We don't have the witness in our community that we could have. We don't operate like we could operate to impact our world. Our children do not receive the kind of ministry they could receive. Our youth and young adults, our seniors, are not receiving the kind of care and ministry that they could receive. God has a bigger kingdom footprint for us to make on this earth. And, you know, we could, we could respond to that and we could just do things like, well, let's change our governance model. Let's administrate our programs better. Let's add more money to the budget. Let's add another staff member. Let's build a new building. Let's change this and that. But if the individuals of our church family do not get it, if the individuals, you and I, that make up the body called White Ridge Baptist Church do not see what God has given them uniquely to fulfill in this body, we will never attain to all the fullness of Christ that we're meant to attain to in this world. It's just impossible. And so as we conclude, I want to ask you to think about the gift of God that's upon you. Paul goes on to talk about it in verses 6 to 8, the gifts of the Spirit he mentions. They're just a sampling the word grace is always attached to the word gift it's because it's actually part of the word. You see, the word grace is charis, and the word gift is charismata. 
These are grace gifts. They, they were given to you for use. And so God, through Paul, mentions a few of them. There's the word prophesying, preaching, the gift of explaining Scripture, making it shine. I'm so looking forward to meeting with a group of guys and our pastor, pastoral staff. Uh, next month, we're going to go through some training because when I go on sabbatical in April, May, June, July, I'm going to be leaving, and I'm so glad that our church has others that are being equipped and that can preach the gospel and the word. And I'm looking forward to seeing you as a body of believers give them opportunity to, to sharpen their giftings and to be used by God to minister to this body. There's the word serving here where we get our word deacon. I'm so glad that there's a group of men and women that said, I believe I'm a, I'm a servant. I'm meant to be a deacon. And the idea there is that you accomplish practical, necessary tasks that are assisting others to do their ministry. I'm so glad that there's teachers in our midst that are imparting important knowledge that applies to life. And the word encouragement there, boy, do we need a lot of them. That idea of coming to someone who is discouraged and pouring courage into them in the face of whatever they're confronted with in life. The gift of giving and contributing to the needs of others, boy, does the body need that? Yeah. And then there is leadership. Literally, it means to stand before others. There's some of you that are not meant to be standing before others in leadership. Your ministry may never be seen publicly, but there are others that are meant to be heading up teams and committees and, and leading in that way. And then there's the gift of mercy, showing mercy. This group of people that God sets apart, and they give these people, God gives these people a heart to gladly help in tangible ways where there is suffering or need. I hope that you today will take the next step. I hope that today just is, is just a wetting of your appetite to say, maybe God, maybe there's something I need to pursue. Just like I had to take a next step when I was 16 or 17 to try and understand what God was asking of me. Maybe today you're being asked by the Holy Spirit to take the next step. That you'd be faithful in that, that you would find your life to be fruitful, and that you'll find fulfillment in that, and that God would give you the grace to see that all that's going to be for his fame, that it's going to make him more glorious, and other people are going to say, I want to get to know that God that, that your life is worshiping.